Praise the Lord. Um, as you're seated this morning, and before I begin uh, the message, just want to mention a couple of things. We are going to be going back to Wednesday night prayer here every Wednesday night. So from 7 to 8 o'clock every Wednesday night, we're going to gather in the presence of the Lord. We call it uh, Come to the Well. Praise the Lord. We know that Jesus met the woman from Samaria at the well, and he'll meet us at the well. So this Wednesday night, 7 to 8 o'clock, and, and let's let these gatherings grow. Come with expectation, and the power of God will move and overflow. And uh, reach out and take hold of that word that Giselle spoke and give ourselves to the Lord. Also, thank you, everybody, for coming early and joining in pre-service prayer and calling on the name of the Lord together. Uh, this was our first week after that uh, exhortation. And if we keep doing this every week, it's not going to be long, and it's going to become a habit you can't live without. It's going to become something you got, oh, I can't be, i got to get there because the glory's going to be coming out. I need to get under that. And uh, so we'll see you next week also at a quarter till for that prayer time. All right, this morning, praise the Lord. Everyone said, raise the dead. Raise the dead. Say it one more time, raise the, dead. raise the dead. Hallelujah. In John's Gospel, chapter 11, is the familiar story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. I'd like to re uh, read excerpts from it, and if I could get you to just lower that uh, to eliminate that ringing. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, <clears throat> beginning in um, verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. You could give me a little bit more. That's kind of somewhere between where I was and where you got me. Yeah, praise the Lord. A little bit more. Praise God. Yes, there. Good, all right. Um, a certain man named Lazarus was ill, um, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness is, is not going to lead to death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then afterwards, he said to his disciples, let us go again down to Judea. Moving down to verse 17. Now when Jesus came and found that Lazarus had already been in uh, the tomb dead four days. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise on the resurrection the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming in the world. Then Jesus said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And so they lead Jesus to the tomb. 
Jesus, therefore, came groaning in himself to the grave. And it was a cave, and a stone was laid upon it. Jesus said, Take away that stone. And Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time he stinks. But he said, For he has been dead four days. Jesus says to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they rolled the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you hear me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that you have sent me. And when he had thus spoken... He cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out here. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was bound with a napkin. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Pray with me. O Heavenly Father, You are the God of life who in your grace condescended from your home in glory to stand as Jesus Christ at the gates of hell and call us out. And just as sure as you called Lazarus from the tomb, so you are calling us from the graves of our sin. And you who hear, we who hear your voice, we are coming forth into life and into freedom in Christ. And now through the Holy Spirit working in us, send us to stand before the tombs of lost sinners and to also call them forth unto you. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Now that is the Christian calling to raise the dead. If you wonder, what's my calling? I'm going to simplify it for you this morning. You are called to raise dead people back to life. Praise the Lord. That's what Jesus meant when he said, freely you receive, freely give. You're called to raise the dead. In fact, all throughout the epistles of the New Testament, in one form or another, that calling is being discussed. And in one of our favorite passages in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul describes it like this. Listen carefully. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He's a new creation, a new species. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us, everyone said, gave me. Gave me the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now, I'm using the example of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead to talk about raising sinners that are dead in their sins to life in Christ. And there are five steps that Jesus took to raise Lazarus from the dead, and those are the five steps that you and I must take to call the lost out of their tombs of sin, and into life and freedom in Jesus Christ. Step number one, 
Jesus waited for Lazarus to die and be buried. The Bible says Jesus loved Lazarus, loved Mary, loved Martha. And when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he waited two, two days, and then it was going to be a couple of days of journeying. So he waits an extra couple days so that Lazarus drops dead because he loves him so much. Hallelujah. That's the first step. If you are going to call the dead sinners back to life, number one, sometimes you have to be patient and let the lost fall into their graves of hopelessness and realize how dead they are before they become willing to believe that Jesus can call them back to life. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, Jesus says, and he was setting out on his journey. And when he, uh, excuse me, Jesus wasn't saying this. This is talking about Jesus. Jesus was setting out on his journey, and a man ran up and knelt before Jesus and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, You know the commandments. Uh, don't murder, don't steal, and he lists a number of them. And the, the man known to us as the rich young ruler says to him, Teacher, all of these morals I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. I want you to mark that. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, and the last thing he told him to do, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, the rich young ruler went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have and put their trust in the wealth of this world to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the, the hole in a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were even the more astonished when he said this. And they said to him, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man, it is impossible. It's about as possible as Lazarus getting himself up from the dead rolling the stone away from the inside, walking out. But he went on to say, but with God, all things are possible. So Jesus lays out the groundwork for salvation and says, it's impossible for sinners to save themselves. But with God, all things are possible. But I want you to know, the analogy that he uses here is this rich young ruler, and Jesus loves him. And the rich young ruler wants eternal life, and he says, what do I have to do to get eternal life? And so the Lord said, what about the commandments? He says, oh, yeah, I've been doing that since I was a kid. He said, one thing you lack. As Jesus looked into his soul, he saw the thing that that man used as an idol, that which he depended on, the thing that he was afraid to give up, the thing he felt that he couldn't live without. I have to have my, my accounts and my backup money and, and my wealth and all of my possessions. Jesus said, give it all up. 
sell it, give it to the poor. Now, he doesn't tell everybody to do that, but he told that man, he said, one thing you lack. And Jesus went right at the heart of what that man needed to free himself from sin. And Jesus said, and then come and follow me. The young rich ruler went away sad. He declined to hear Jesus' call. And so people's trust in things has to die before they become willing to be separated from their idols. People that you pray for may not be ready to get saved because they're holding on to the thing they trust. Now, in this man's case, it was his abundance of wealth. But in other people's case, it could be other things. It could be their confidence in their good looks or their, their ability to speak or their intelligence. Or it could be confidence in the group of friends that they've selected. My friends will never let me down. Or maybe they've worked hard and they've gone to school and they've, they've gotten a great career. And they know I'm going to be good in life so I hold on to this. And those things that they put their trust in keep them from realizing they need a Savior. When they look at their life, they're like, I'm all right. I even go to church. I have a Bible. I believe in God. But they're not saved. They're not walking with Jesus. They don't have the power of the Holy Spirit living in their life. And I'll tell you, there's millions of people like that whose names are on the rolls of churches but their names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. And the reason they can't be raised from the dead is because they haven't died and been put in the grave yet. They're like zombies walking around. They think they're okay. And it is their dependence upon whatever worldly thing they trust in that keeps them from hearing Jesus' voice. In Hosea chapter 4, verse 17, the prophet said, Ephraim is joined to his idols, leave him alone. And so sometimes when you're witnessing to people or praying for them or you want to you lead them to Jesus, they're not quite ready yet. They are joined to their idols and the Holy Spirit will say, leave them alone. Leave them. Let them marinate for a while. It hasn't gotten bad enough yet for them. You hate to see people that you love, people that you care about, go down, unravel. You hate to see bad things happen in their life. But for some people, that's the road they have to take. Jesus let Lazarus die before God could be glorified in his life. And so it is the sin of trusting idols that we actually get saved from. So unsaved people in the world, until they realize they need to be saved from trusting in idols, trusting in other things rather than God. They usually don't get saved. Have you ever noticed? Sometimes people will respond to an altar call because it, 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 Jesus sounds like a nice additive to their life. Oh, my goodness, i got a great life, but if I add Jesus to it, um, you know, I'll, I'll start really being blessed, and won't that be great? But they don't get saved. They just start going to church and start believing in God. So the reality is, is that people that are saved are people that were dead and made alive. So the first thing is, is Jesus let him fall into the grave. Let him die before he went and ministered to him. Step number two, Jesus went to where Lazarus was. 
Jesus went to the grave where he was. Remember, he, he said, where have you laid him? They said, Lord, come and see. And he let them take him to the grave. We must go to the dead because they can't come to us. And by talking about the dead, I am referring to unsaved people. We have to go to them to share Jesus with them instead of standing in church and expecting them to come to us. Are you listening to me? You know, remember I read you that when Jesus said it is nearly impossible, with men it is impossible for people to get saved. The disciples were astonished. They couldn't believe it. They were just absolutely astonished. They said, who can be saved? He said, with men it is impossible. Sinners cannot come to you. Their sin won't let them. You have to go to them. So step number two is, no matter how easy it may seem to you and I, for people that are bound up in sin and, and, and their life is, is, is in a struggle because of it, no matter how easy it may look to you and I, for those people trapped in sin to simply walk out of their tombs and come to Jesus, the truth is they're dead in their sins. And we must bring Jesus to where they are. Let me make this point plain because I don't want you to miss it. The simplest explanation for why more sinners don't get saved is that we're not going to where they're buried. We gather on Wednesday night. We intercede in our morning devotions. We pray, and I don't want to undermine that, but Jesus didn't say, just pray. The Bible says when he rose from the dead, he sent them out. And they had a big holy huddle going on in Jerusalem uh, for the first couple years. They were partying in the Holy Ghost and having a great time. And the Lord had to allow persecution to come in Acts chapter 8 and break that party up. And the Bible says the believers were scattered everywhere and went and preached the gospel all over the place. Hallelujah. Sinners cannot come to you. You must go to them. And I have to say, if we were going to sinners, these chairs would be filled. Amen. I don't say that uh, to make anybody, especially myself, feel bad. But the reality is, if we went to them and stood in front of their tombs and called them out, you couldn't hold, this place couldn't hold them all. Hallelujah. They'd come. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 30, the scripture says, But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law complained bitterly against Jesus' disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Because Jesus was hanging out with, he was in the wrong side of town, hanging out with unsaved people. And Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. If you want the presence of God, do you know where he is? He's at the tomb of all the dead in their sins, waiting for somebody's voice that he can use 
to call them out of the grave of their sins. Can you say amen? amen. Step number three, roll the stone away. First, I, I didn't see this at first, but after studying, I realized he didn't roll the stone away after he raised him from the dead. He rolled the stone away before he raised him from the dead. First, remove the obstacles that prevent those who God is calling out of death from coming into life. Before you call them out, roll that obstacle away so that they can come forth. Now, understand that Lazarus, when he died, he was sealed in his tomb to keep his decomposing flesh from contaminating the living. That's why they sealed graves. Because as that dead body became unclean and contaminated, they didn't want saved people going in there. They didn't want living people going in there. And so we too can find unsaved activity, can find sin and say, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. And matter of fact, Ephesians chapter 5 says, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. And so there is a stone that is rolled over the activity of sin. And believers know, don't go in there. Dead stuff is in there. Stay out of there. Do you understand? Who ends up, in, who ends up dead? Those that are dead in their sins and in their trespasses. You understand I'm speaking allegorically, so you, you need to interpret what I'm saying. So, Lazarus is sealed in that tomb. And we also quarantine the tombs of those that are dead in their sins with a stone of separation, warning the living to stay out for fear of becoming defiled. And that's not wrong. That's scriptural. But Jesus said, I'm about to call one of them out. And before I call him, I want you to get that obstacle out of the way. Remove that stone of separation. Hallelujah. Because Ephesians 5, where it says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, goes on to say, therefore, he says, awake you that sleep and arise from the dead and Christ shall give you light. So God wants to have those barriers to the unsaved moved out of the way so that he can call them forth. Can you say amen? Let me make it simple for you. If you're going to call the sinner out of his grave, you need to first remove the seal of separation between you and him or her. Now Martha said, Lord, by now he stinks. She loved her brother, but she didn't want him coming out in that condition. He's dead. He's decayed. Do you understand? People that are in graves are dead. They are, they're dead in their sins. They're decayed. We don't, we don't, we, as much as we love them before they fell into that state, we, we don't want them coming out like that. Are you listening to me? She didn't want him back in that condition. But listen. We need to prepare a clear path of acceptance in advance for those who hear Jesus' voice and receive his life. 
You can't call dead sinners to rise up and come forth and leave that stone in there until they prove that they're not dead anymore. Are you listening to me? He didn't leave him in there. Say, you know, we want to make sure he's really alive before we let him out. We need some proof of life. He didn't want Lazarus waking up in the dark tomb sealed in. He wanted him waking up and seeing the bright light of the day and Jesus standing at the mouth of the tomb inviting him and calling him out. That's what the unsaved need to see when we call them to Jesus. Roll that stone of disassociation. Roll it away. Roll away the objections. You say, well, the, uh, uh, you know, those, those scriptures that talk about um, sin separating us from God. Yeah, but, but, but we're not about to put a sinner in the grave. We're about to call him out. Are you listening? We're not burying the dead. We're raising the dead. So you got to roll that stone away. Can you say amen? amen? Step number four. Call the lost out of the tomb. Do you notice Jesus didn't go in and start massaging his body and working his legs and arms and wrestling with him and trying to slap his body and wake up and get his body healed. I don't know. I just have a funny picture in my mind of Jesus going in and dealing with that dead body. And, and that's the way we think we get sinners saved is we've got to get all engaged with their life and what's wrong with them and why they're dead and try to rehab. Are you, do you, get, you see where I'm going with this? That, that's not how it works. Because no matter how deeply buried in sin their life is, the spirit inside the sinner, inside the lost person, has the ability to hear Jesus' voice calling them, no matter how deeply buried in the darkness of their hopelessness they are, their spirit can hear Jesus calling it's a miracle. It really is. And Jesus simply said, well, with God, all things are possible. It's, it is possible. You have loved ones. You have friends you've wrestled with. You've tried to talk them into getting saved. You've done everything. Maybe they're drug addicts or alcoholics or they've got some kind of a bondage or another. You've counseled them. You've worked with them. It's back and forth and back and forth and nothing's happening. Because the problem isn't the deadness of their flesh or their behavior. The problem is deeper inside. Their spirit is dead. And it needs to be spoken to by the Lord of life and called forth. Picture yourself standing before an unsafe person. They look perfectly alive to you. Uh, they may even look better than you look. I mean, in the physical, uh, you know, they, they, they may look like they've got more going on than you've got going on. But in the spirit, they're dead and they're in a grave. And you're standing in life and you're Jesus and you're going to call them out of that grave. Picture yourself standing before them and all of a sudden you stop trying to figure out all that's wrong in their life. You stop trying to manipulate their body and exercise and get those limbs going and heal what's broken and deal with all the issues and the counseling and all that other stuff. All of a sudden, you see it. You lock on. You are looking into their spirit. And regardless of all the messed up talk coming out of their mouth, 
because that's how dead people sound. When dead people talk, what do they talk about? Dead stuff. They sound dead. Their stuff sounds dead. You talk directly into their spirit. You are the ambassador of Christ. You stand before them. And you look at them and you say, all of a sudden, middle of the conversation, it's as though the Red Sea parts. And you say, Bob, come to Jesus. And Bob, that word goes right past his mind. His mind is thinking, well, you've been trying to talk me into Jesus forever. But see, you're not talking to his head. You're talking to his spirit. You're aiming that word at his spirit. You are speaking in faith with authority to his spirit man. Bob, come to Jesus. And all of a sudden, it may be the 50th time you've tried to talk him into coming to Jesus, but at this moment, the dead gets up. He hears the voice of God. Because listen to me today. God has built us, even though we have fallen into sin, He's built us with a spirit that is able to connect with God. No matter how deep in the grave they are, that dead sinner can hear the voice of Jesus. Their spirit is able to hear. Now that rich young ruler, he wasn't ready to hear yet. He could have, but he wasn't ready. That's why sometimes you have to let them go. They're just not ready. Lazarus didn't come forth by Jesus trying to fix his body. The body that put him in that tomb. But Lazarus came forth because Jesus called his spirit to get up and come to him. That was the other thing I noticed. Jesus didn't say, Lazarus, be alive. Lazarus, rise from the dead. Jesus said, Lazarus, come to me. Come. You see, you see, even though Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Because it's Jesus calling him, he's calling him, come forth to me. When Jesus calls you to come forth, if you hear his voice, you will come forth. Can you say praise the Lord? So it wasn't wrestling with the, the broken pieces of his life, but it was speaking to his spirit that made Lazarus come forth. You can't rehab the dead. You can't, you just can't. You can make a lot of money rehabbing, trying to rehab the dead. There are whole professions that are based on making money trying to rehabilitate sinners. You can't rehab sinners. You can't rehab the dead. With men, it is impossible. <laughs> You can't go charging into the tomb and drag the corpse out and say, this thing needs some fresh air. We just need to show it some love. You can't drag the dead sinner out and say, if we just love him enough, if we just put our arms around him, if we just bring him out into the sunlight and, and, and let some fresh air circulate around him. The Bible said about the rich young ruler who walked away from Jesus, it says, and Jesus loved him and said, Give all that you have and follow me. But he sadly walked away. Jesus loving him wasn't enough for him to get saved. He wasn't ready yet. So you can't, uh, you know, I hear Christians say all the time, and I, I understand to a certain extent what they're saying, but I think it's overdone, and I think it's an excuse for really walking in the power of the Spirit. And, and sometimes there's other reasons for it, but I hear Christians say all the time, we just need to love them. We just need to love them. 
Your love isn't going to do a thing. It's Jesus' love. It's the fact that God loves it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The only thing that you and I can do in love is to let God's love shine through us. And if you really love them, you'll stand at the tomb and call them out. Call them to Jesus. Because if all you're doing is going in with a frankincense and myrrh and perfuming the stinking, rotting corpse, or dragging it out into the sunlight and say, Jesus loves you. I love you, darling. I love you, honey. You know I love you. Here's some money. Here's some acceptance. They're still dead. You haven't done a thing. In fact, you may have done more harm than good because you have confirmed them in their deadness. If I'm dead and I'm able to live, I hope somebody makes me uncomfortable enough, wakes me up and realize, Nick, you're dead. Get up. <laughs> Wouldn't you want somebody, if someone really loved you, if you were about to take a bath in a tub of acid and you didn't know it and you were about to climb in, wouldn't you want somebody to warn you? I know I would. Hebrews chapter 3 says, remember what it says, Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your heart as Israel did in the rebellion. There it is right there. You raise dead sinners back to life by speaking to their heart, speak past their head, speak past their life's condition. Overlook their sin. Overlook what put them in that condition in the first place. Stop trying to counsel them into eternal life. Person's an alcoholic, they're a pervert, a loser, whatever, all those things I was, and, and you, well, I wasn't an alcoholic. <laughs> I wasn't a pervert either, but at any rate... Um, but the point is, you, you, you can't counsel people out of those things. You can't love them out of them. They are stuck. They're dead in those things. And what needs to happen is things need to get bad enough for them that they realize this stuff ain't working anymore. This isn't doing any good for me. And so don't harden your heart, he says to the unsafe person, because that is the port of life. The port of life isn't your mind. The port of life where the ship comes in, port, and brings all the blessings, God's blessing, it docks in your spirit, not in your head, not in your body. So if you're going to save the lost, you need to remember to raise them to the dead. Now, no matter how messed up that body is, have faith that the spirit in that sinner can hear God speak through you when you call to them. And finally, the last step is when he came out of the tomb, he looked kind of funny. Why did he look funny? Well, they had him wound up like a mummy. So he kind of was, he was obedient, but he was doing about as much as he could there. Wound, legs wound, body wound head covered in a napkin, some kind of a hood over him. So he's all wound up and, and all that sticky, uh, gooey, gummy frankincense and myrrh all over him. Um, and he cannot free himself. And he's coming out. And when Jesus sees him come out, Jesus commands you and I, 
loose him and let him go. He commands those of us that were standing by, you unwind him. Remove those grave clothes from him. Release him so that he can go free. Can you say amen? amen. So once Lazarus rises from the dead and comes out, Jesus orders those that are nearby, remove the grave clothes so that he can move freely among the dead. When sinners first come to Jesus, when they first get saved, when they're first called out of darkness into the light, they are bound with certain grave clothes. They were clothed for death. Those windings, those clothes were put on them to suit the fact that they were dead, to, to uh, uh, prevent the, de the, the decay and the decomposition. And we could say those clothes were clothes that were the, the shame and the condemnation of being dead. Um, so when, when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, the first thing the newly saved person needs is he needs you and I to immediately remove the, the restriction of all of those things that kept him bound in death. When people get saved, they need to renew their mind. They all their life have heard, what a failure, what a loser. Even their own thoughts within them. Those are the grave clothes that bind them. And notice that Jesus gives you and I the responsibility, release them and let them go. He expects you and I to unwind all of those thoughts of restriction and condemnation and rejection. He expects us to, to immediately take them and free them by telling them you are a new creation in Christ. You're accepted in the beloved. Uh, you know, you are not what you were before. You're alive. Unwind him and let him go. You know, there are a lot of people that come into church and get saved and then you wonder why they fall away because the believers never bothered to love them enough to unwind them and let them go. Nobody took time with them. Nobody took them aside and immediately said, here, let me, let me take these grave clothes off of you. Let me, help me, let me free you and help clothe you with the freedom of the robe of righteousness. Wouldn't that be a lot better than these restrictive clothes that you can't live in? You see, unsaved people are going to come in. They're going to hear the gospel. It's going to sound good. They're going to try to respond. They get up, walk out of the, the grave, and then each week you see a mummy coming to church. And everyone leaves them alone. It's a, it really is, I think, in, you know, we have crimes in our society. In the kingdom of God, that's a crime. In the kingdom of God, that is a crime. It's like birthing babies and letting them fend for themselves. How long do you think they'll live? How long do you think they'll last? Loose them and let them go. Well, there should be a team of people that do that. No. If you're standing by, the Bible says he spoke to those that stood by. If you're standing by, get busy. It's not my job. Yes, it is. Amen. If you're standing by the unsaved person, put your arm around them and help get those grave clothes off of them. Right now. Take them out to lunch after church and help unwind them. Somebody gets saved. I mean now, not 
three weeks from now because they're going to, you know what's going to happen if they try to walk around with those grave clothes, they're going to figure out, well, I guess I belong in the grave again. We call it backsliding. They end up going back in. Are you listening? Number one, if, if, the, if the number one reason why there's not more unsafe people in church is because we don't bother to go to their tomb and call them out. We're praying for them, but we're not going to them. Then the number two, the number two issue that needs to be corrected is when the Lord does call them out, we leave them in their grave clothes. We got to unwind them. We've got to release them. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Somebody say praise the Lord. Say you're preaching all right this morning, Pastor. Hallelujah. You guys were a little bit quiet today. Hallelujah. Listen. 2 Corinthians 5, clearly, Christ's love guides us. We are convinced of the fact that one man has died for all people, speaking of Jesus. Therefore, all people have died. So there you got the condition, all, all people are sinners and have died, are dead in their sins. But one has died for all of us in that he died for all people so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the man who died and was brought back to life for them. So from now on, we don't think of anyone from a human point of view any longer. That means when they come out of the tomb, take all that old stuff off of them. Bring them in with acceptance. Clean them up. Hallelujah. Free them from all of those epithets and words that they've heard all their life that they cannot free themselves from. You need to free them from that. It's, a, it's, it, it's amazing how that point at least is made on my mind when I think about if Jesus could raise them from the dead, why couldn't he just bring them out with all those grave clothes just miraculously fall, you know, fall off of them. Instead, he leaves it for you and I to do. And if you would, I'd like you to close your Bible and stand up with me this morning.